0: hey everybody it's andrew with transform soccer here welcome to episode three of the because football podcast in this episode we have an amazing guest this is blaine mckenna blaine is a soccer coach from northern ireland who has coached in multiple countries around the world if you are an aspiring player someone who is looking to go outside of the norm a coach yourself you're going to get a lot out of this Really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did here, and in the comments below, let us know either a country that you would love to play or coach in, as well as your favorite Thai food dish, if you've got one. Thanks, guys. Welcome to another episode of Because Football. It's Coach Andrew here, your host, and I'm sitting down today with Blaine McKenna. Blaine is speaking to us from the beautiful island of Phuket, Thailand. Uh, Blaine is a UEFA a licensed coach. He's got 14 years of experience coaching and educating coaches in 11 countries across five different continents. Uh, in total, among his social media he has been able to influence roughly 58,000 plus sports coaches and professionals. Some of his past projects include being the academy director of a top flight Thai club and initiating coach education in the region. He's developed online courses for Football Academy in New Zealand, as well as 40 week life skills programs. And at this point has delivered football sessions and coach education in countries such as Malawi, New Zealand, South Africa and Thailand. So, Blaine, thank you so much for joining us today on the Because Football Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So we'll get started here. I think uh, what everyone would like to know is, uh, you know, being based in Thailand, how about that food? Is I imagine that's the only reason that brought
1: you there. <laughs> yeah, i got to say the food's the food's unbelievable in terms of case, price, and then some of the locations you can eat it here Love as that. well. So, spoil, spoil for choice.
0: Love that. Awesome. Do you have a, a favorite, uh, of course, to many viewers, they probably know their pad thai, maybe a pad cu, si a sum tom. Uh, fried dumplings, something like that.
1: Do you have a favorite? Um, I really like chicken cashew nuts or like pad o gai, which is like fried, kind of wide fried noodles. So very, very tasty. But I like to mix it yeah. up. There's just so much, so much choice.
0: There is. There is. And of course, being in Phuket, a lot of great curries as well. You know, like your green, I love a green curry. Masaman is, you know, it's definitely a spoiled for choice. So oh, yeah, awesome. it's not too often you come across. People in general with with that much uh, travel and, and cross cultural experience. Uh, and so, what kind of like led you initially? Is you know growing up and saying okay, having your eyes and, and ears kind of
1: turned turned abroad. What what kind of led you to that? I've just loved football my whole life. As soon as I could walk, I was always kicking footballs and things. And then as I progressed through, I realized I wasn't going to become a professional footballer. I had to go down a different route, and. Where I live, there weren't many coaching opportunities, there weren't many full-time coaches and things, so it wasn't really seen as a real career. I, my mum encouraged me to start doing a degree, so I did a degree in sports science. And on the first day, okay. kind of everyone's hand went up. They wanted to be PE teachers, and I was one of the few people who wanted to be a coach because there weren't many role models where I came from, and there weren't many jobs. Hmm. But it was at the end of my first year at university, they offered a, a summer coaching placement in the US and Canada. So okay. I went there and that was the first time I, s- I saw a lot of foreigners in full-time roles. And that's made me realize that while wow, coaching can actually be a real career. And then from there I came back and set the goal of working in five countries after I finished a master's degree. And then one day after presenting my research, I flew to the Middle East to start working for Arsenal soccer schools in Kuwait.
0: Obviously, as as viewers in, in the US and North America would see, you know, certainly a lot of uh a lot of you know, coaches from from Britain, from Ireland, uh, and then now I'm seeing more from like places like Spain as well, Germany. Um, what kind of leads people to, because obviously we know that the culture of the game in those areas is so strong, but what would lead a coach to uh, to kind of look abroad rather than than at home? What are some of those challenges?
1: Well, for me, it's there are more opportunities. It's a very saturated market back home. And obviously in the U.S., the pay-to-play model is massive, which creates more full-time mm-hmm. roles. Whereas back in right. the UK and Ireland, historically, there wouldn't have been much of a pay-to-play model, which then obviously means there's not as much money generated, which means there's less full-time jobs. Right. And slowly over time, that's beginning to change. And there are more paid programs and things, which is create more jobs. But there's just so many coaching courses. And there's so many, when I say coaching course, I mean like university degrees and things. There's so many people right. getting okay. degrees in coaching. And there just aren't as many jobs as there are coaches. So if you don't know someone, it's very hard for you to progress. So I feel that the people that don't really know have those networks and clubs and things that get jobs at home, the only option for them if they want to have a career in coaching is to go abroad and find those opportunities and often what you find Mm -hmm. is you find yourself working at higher levels because you come from a certain place that is renowned for football so it gives you more opportunities abroad and then also the lifestyle factors too because like for me if I moved home I might not be able to get a coaching, coaching job and I might have to work in a different industry so it's that abroad mm-hmm. is the best, the best thing for me to get those opportunities at higher levels. Right.
0: Okay. And, and, but certainly with with going abroad, just in general, uh, even if it's just for a trip or something, or, but really planning to, to move abroad involves a lot of risk, right? There's so many unknowns. There's so much uncertainty. Um, but, but what kind of would you say to, whether it's to coaches looking for opportunities or just anyone seeking an opportunity outside their comfort zone? Like, how, how do you kind of go and, and handle that risk?
1: Yeah, it's very difficult. And for me, like before I went to the US, I've never, I've not really travelled much. Like I went to a football tournament in Holland. Okay. I've been around the UK and stuff. But I hadn't travelled much, so I went to the US. I kind of lit a spark for travelling. I was coaching in different places every week. I kind of just opened my eyes to the big world out there and the opportunities. And also, it was a very easy adaptation. It's not too difficult adjusting going from Ireland and the UK to the US. Like they speak English. The culture isn't yeah, massively different. The language mm-hmm. is a big thing in terms of like football terminology. You have soccer versus football. And I remember telling a young kid called Joey to tackle someone when I was a young coach, 18. And he literally American <laughs> football tackled someone. It was, it was an absolutely <laughs> awesome tackle, but it was it's a great a lesson very coachable me, player. You know, player. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He yeah. took your took your instructions to heart, you know. Keep that kid in the, well, the first but, eleven for
1: then, sure. And then for me, it's just working in different different countries and things. You have those experiences and from there, it just kind of kind of snowballed. That I realized that after my finishing master's degree, I went to the Middle East, and that was a big cultural change. And I went to China and places. I can and imagine. Yeah, I the more places you go to, the more you learn, and more it opens your mind that the way you're raised isn't the only way to do things. And it's great to open your mind and be adaptable and be patient and learn different skills. Um, but what would you say, like,
0: from traveling abroad and and having those new experiences and and taking those risks, like, what is something that That you saw as like the dream that was in your head of what was going to happen versus like okay what are some of those real realities that kick in
1: yeah that's the biggest thing is people look at my instagram and think i'm living the dream but they they don't see what goes on behind the scenes it's that iceberg effect people only see the bit above the water i've had some really difficult difficult moments like i got very sick in beijing my throat closed i couldn't Mm -hmm. drink i couldn't eat i was googling how my days you, you can survive and like as a single guy out there, it's, it's a very lonely place. You don't have family. You don't have yeah. friends. You have to endure a lot of difficult moments. And I think when you're doing it, you're so immersed in it. You don't really realize what you're doing. And I've had so many people say that like it takes a lot of bravery to go and do these things. But I just saw opportunities, and especially in China at that mm. time. The Chinese Super League was booming. There were so many opportunities. Yeah. It was it was just an amazing time. It's kind of I just managed to create connections and jump from one place to the next and have all these experiences and I don't regret it for a second but I'm not quite as adventurous as I used to be like I'd fly to maybe yeah. I fly to I got flown to South Africa for a couple of days like I had to travel for like 36 hours to get there I wouldn't do those kind of things nowadays but you learn so many lessons from it and it just I have no regrets and that's kind of the main thing from it
0: yeah definitely uh kind of we, we our our comfort with the risk changes over time and and of course as we get a little bit more competent and we kind of gain our stripes, so to speak, uh, that the necessity to take the bigger risk might not be as much there, but but it's still, you know, still something to, the, to consider for sure. Uh, and Ken, can, and can, to your point, it can be a very lonely experience when you're kind of forging out on your own. Um, I imagine, too, that when you initially told people, you know, from your hometown and your family and things, hey, I'm going to go coach uh, in the Middle East or then I'm going to China, like what were some of the things that, the people said, uh, and how they reacted to you know you stating your dreams and, and your
1: goals. That was that's a difficult one to be honest. Like people literally told me I'm going to die, because a month before I was due to move to Kuwait, a mosque got blown up by terrorists, and at that time there was a lot of media propaganda about that region of the world that mm-hmm. people thought it wasn't sta- safe. People thought it was very unstable, mm-hmm. and that was purely just from what they read in newspapers. So people told me you shouldn't go. You're not going to be safe like people literally told me I was going to die out there and they, they believe that based on what they read but I went out yeah. there and honestly I've never felt safer anywhere else in the world and it's much more risk being at big cities in the UK and Ireland but it would be actually being the place I was and right. yeah, I had no problems I met some wonderful people and I learned about a culture that I'd never experienced before and it kind of just opens your mind to what's what's mm. out there in the world there's different extremes and Maybe our way isn't the best way and their way isn't the best way. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. So it just opens your mind. Sure. And you see much about the importance of culture and the way people have been raised. It's
0: always hard to to know, right? Those differences and uh, between, like you said, the media and what's being pushed and what can gain attention and, and eyeballs and headlines versus like the reality. And, and in many cases, you only know if you're there or, or from speaking to people. Um, so, you know, in this case, it's, it's, that you kind of saw the other side of, of the curtain, so to speak, of you know beyond that, and be able to connect with people. Um, I guess kind of similar to to that of just living in that that country or experiencing that culture in general. Like, how would you say different cultures differ in terms of their like approach to coaching the game, or because you even mentioned too, like where you grew up, there wasn't a great coaching culture. So. How would you say, like, in, in different countries and areas, kind of the the approach, that the communication style and, like, between coach and player uh, is kind of similar or what might vary?
1: Yeah, well, in terms of America, obviously, you don't need a translator there. But as soon as I went to places like China, that was my first experience of using a translator. It was such an interesting experience. And like I remember one day I got in the back of the car of my translator. It was the first time I met him. And I knew every, this session was going to be difficult because he couldn't understand a word I said, my Irish, my thick Irish accent. And he felt he fell asleep Not a great start. As well during the during the car journey. So it was and well, you session, friendly, you know. That helps. Yeah, that's that's it, yeah. But he just couldn't understand a word I said. And then we went into the session and I was trying to explain to him the our session design is very good. We've set all these cones down, which means we don't have to pick up, we pick up these two cones, we can transition to the next exercise, we don't have to set things back up again. I turn around, next thing I know, he's told the kids to pick up all the cones, Never they around picking up the cones. I was like, no, no, no. It's like <laughs> I said, we don't have to pick up the cones, but I just taught, it taught me the importance of being very clear with what you say and your demonstrations and things. So it was a great learning curve and it helped me a lot when i moved on to thailand there which was even more difficult because i was the director Mm -hmm. there i needed my translator and i had to go through a lot of different translators so it was a it's a great lesson in communication and yeah it's a big had a big impact on my coaching
0: yeah absolutely because as a coach i think one of the the first things that we have to do to create relationships and, and that trust with the players obviously comes from certainly our actions, but then our communication, right? What we're saying, how we're saying it. So having that filtered through an interpreter, through another person, uh, definitely a challenge. Do you have any tips for coaches uh, or just people in general who may be traveling or or managing a a, a language barrier like that and that gap, like what would you say are one or two keys to to give a little bit more success to that scenario?
1: Yeah, we just learned some of the basics, like how you greet people, and basic things when you're out when you're out and about. Learning a few key words can go a long way to creating connections mm-hmm. with people, and also making a little bit of an effort to learn the language shows that uh, you want to build something there and you want to be there and connect with the local people, and they'll they'll buy into that side of things. And then in terms of like a professional perspective, uh, you need to get a good translator, and they're not easy to find. Like my, I had one who spoke really good English, but he didn't speak football language. So as soon as we stepped onto the mm-hmm. field, the players didn't have a clue what they were saying and they were looking at me. And at that stage, I'd worked with them for a number of months. So they knew what we were looking for. Okay. And I knew some basic trigger words. We, we introduced trigger words in terms of like press, drop, step, different words. And the translator explained the Thai equivalent. So we could have that communication. And then I could use basic Thai as well. And then it just showed the okay. power of, of communication. But that weekend, we were going to a match and that translator was late. And I said to him, like, let's just go without them. So I went to the match without a translator just Mm. because they couldn't understand what they were saying because they didn't speak football language. I basically moved cones around the floor to show what we wanted. I drew diagrams in my notepads. I spoke basic Thai, used some trigger words, Mm. and we were able to get through. And it just showed you the power of language, nonverbal communication as well. So those experiences are really powerful.
0: Yeah, and you think too with, uh, think of like even the top flight, top level clubs around the world when you have 10, 15 different nationalities and multiple different languages flying around, uh, you know, how do you manage that? Because communication is so important for building those relationships. Um, and, but it's kind of curious, a, a follow-up question I have is then based on the different countries you go to, do you ever, of course, not english speaking, do you ever use like, like you said, those key trigger words, step, press, drop, pack, maybe like simple English words, or do you always try to put it into the The local language uh like when you're
1: coaching with your players um initially when i was in thailand i was using english words um because it's good for them because they didn't none of the players Mm -hmm. none of the coaches spoke english so it's good opportunity right some another language as well so it's good opportunity for that so yeah we use quite a few but it's a bit of a mixture a mixture of english words which like some words they use already some english football terminals they use already but then Okay. Also speaking the local, the local language in terms of like go over there, come here in that language. Being able to speak those words was really helped you with with sessions.
0: Kind of leaving off from that, you know, we talked about kind of in, in different cultures of communication with the players, right? How about being in a professional working environment with with colleagues, with superiors, uh, and of course, I'm sure the language comes into play there, but. What are some things that have provided challenges over time as far as adapting to a new working culture?
1: Well, I think that landing in Ubon Ratchathani in the Thai countryside, that was a very difficult challenge. So I was going in there as Academy Director. So there's lots of barriers, and lots of hurdles you have to overcome. And like one of the big ones was the age hierarchy. So there's age hierarchy around the world, but it's very, it's very fixed in Thailand. So if someone's right. older than you says something, they take it as gospel, and that's the way it is. So I was coming in Academy director at the age of 25 and I was the boss and I was telling people older than me what they had to do. And it was, it was a difficult challenge. So it was, and also as well, because the president's son was the Academy director before, or the Academy director, he wasn't really just fulfilling that role, but the coaches right. did what they want. They didn't have to plan sessions. They didn't turn up on time. They didn't do basic things that you needed to be a coach. And I was implementing those basic things and they're getting paid the same salary they weren't very happy with a younger foreigner coming in trying to tell them what to do so like, i inherited a really bad situation as well Like i got hired as a quick fix because the president's son had got rid of a coach and a lot of the players left with him so they moved the 15 year olds into the 17 year old age group in the thai youth league so they we're competing against players two years older than them and it was like very very difficult so the results weren't good the pressure was on the parents the, pre- the parents were putting pressure on so then they hired me as a quick fix but the registration window closed so i couldn't fix anything in that moment so it took eight months to get the right staff in place and to get the players into the right age group and then obviously things improved drastically drastically from there but seeing that initial period through was very difficult and i wouldn't have survived if the president's son hadn't been raised in new zealand so rich parents and finance mm-hmm. send their kids abroad to study so he had an idea right. of the approach i was trying to implement if he'd only been immersed in that Thai environment I might not have survived because all they see is the results. They don't see the process or the yeah. way you're trying to do things. So, right. yeah, there's lots of things. And so you have the age hierarchy and the people wouldn't tell me the truth. So none of the coaches would tell me how they're really feeling. And then behind my back, they'd mm. stabbed me in the back. They've never said directly because you can't tell someone above you in the hierarchy how you really feel. A yeah. yes, boss, yes, boss. Try and keep them happy. So there are lots of cultural factors bubbling under the surface. And then things like, Saving face as well. One of the younger, one of the coaches was trying to tell our players what to do. And I said to my translator, one voice, please. Because that coach didn't work with this team. And we might have told him something Mm. different. I didn't want them sending mixed messages. But that coach left and never spoke to me again because he'd lost face in front of the players and the side. Mm, In front of the players. That taught me a lesson as well in terms of, you don't, and it's all about like, it's all about in Asia. It's all about maintaining the harmony of the group. And it goes back to like ancient philosophers, Confucius and things. And you've got to maintain the harmony at all costs. And if you criticize someone or say something in front of a group, then you're disrupting that harmony that has wide ranging effects that can make your life very difficult. Absolutely. And that's something from my personal experience
0: I noticed in Thailand, too, that was very different, Uh, you know, that not really can't not direct communication. Uh, And to an extent, it's difficult because you're not really sure where you stand with people, like you said. Someone could seem fine, smile, but then behind the scenes, they're talking about you or trying to kind of sabotage your efforts. So what what would you recommend the coaches who are facing that? Because I'm sure there's going to be levels and degrees of that uh, in any culture, because when you're someone new coming in, you know, there could have been someone who wanted your job and believed that they deserved it and and could create resentment there. Um, There could be people who think you're just in there because you're a, you know, a a shiny new face, but you don't really have the background and like, who is this guy? And he doesn't know our, our club or our environment. So what would you recommend for coaches who are facing cultural relationship issues like that within the staff? There might be a middle ground between like those issues and then ultimately having to to part with the staff and getting rid of them, like what are some strategies you would recommend to kind of try and mend that those relationships or try and keep that harmony?
1: Well, you need to understand the culture is a starting point because if you can't get the best from people within that culture, you can't succeed. So looking around, talking to people, trying to really get a grasp and feel for things, mm-hmm. that's the biggest, the biggest thing. And then also trying to connect with them on a human level because. One of the biggest things is they're not going to connect with your ideas until they connect with you as a person. And that's the biggest thing because they're sure. not very trusting sometimes of foreigners coming in because they might have had a negative experience in the past or they might be the first time working with foreigners so they feel like their job's in the line. So they might feel very uncomfortable. So basically, you can try and connect with them on a the human level, take them for food, try and chat to them, mm-hmm. try and connect on that side of things. And also one of the things the President's some would do if he really wanted to tell how they really felt He'd take them drinking and they'd loosen up a bit and they'd really find out how they felt then when they're in a, in a social environment that was more relaxed and the drinks started flowing they told them how they really felt mm-hmm. and then other strategies as well as like, getting people on the same level of the hierarchy to meet and brainstorm and come up with things and then someone can feed that okay. back to you because if you're there in the room they're not going to tell you the truth but if they're in a group mm-hmm. of people on a similar level a meeting together can come up with some ideas and then your translator someone could feed that back to you so there's different ways of getting around it but connecting with them on a human level is a starting point because if you don't get that and they don't trust you as a person then you've got no chance of succeeding
0: absolutely absolutely i think that's huge i think for some coaches i could just see coming into a, a new scenario and a new situation like i've got all these ideas i've done these licenses i've done these courses um but but all the the inspiration all the knowledge you have that you want to give is nothing if you don't create those relationships i think those are some some excellent strategies. How else would you say, too, for maybe a coach who's going to prepare to to go to a new country? You said you have to know the culture, right? And and a lot of that is just experience and there's no like shortcut. But are there things that you have done in the past to help you prepare for visiting that country and give you a little bit of a, a starting point or a head start?
1: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult because a lot of times in football, you'll get a phone call and then one week later, you'll be landed in a country you've never been in your entire life. And that's that's just the way football works. So, obviously, you can find things out online. You can read books, but the biggest thing is once you land, trying to meet people, trying to meet other foreign coaches, local coaches, talking to them, building networks and connections. And that's the best way to learn because you have to adapt your approach. You can't copy and paste from one country to the next because it doesn't work mm-hmm. because they've been brought up in a different way. The education system. So, for example, back home where I came from, people like to ask a lot of questions, do a lot of question and answer. If I start using the question and answer approach in China, where they've sat in a the classroom their entire lives with 40 students, and they've never been asked questions. They've never been. It's not a two-way process. Mm-hmm. They have to retain information right down and pass an exam. They don't feel comfortable answering questions, especially not in front of the group where they can lose space. So there's lots of different right. cultural factors bubbling under the surface. So when you go to that country, if you've had a more autonomous approach, you give players more autonomy. When you go there in Asia, you might need to be a bit more direct initially to get people on side because their view of a great coach is someone who's a dominant figure, someone who has all the answers. And mm. like you start asking questions or giving too much ownership, that makes you look indecisive. That doesn't make you look great gotcha. like coach in their eyes. So it takes time to move from that direct approach towards a more autonomy based by helping them understand that answering questions is effective. Helping you think about your game is an effective way of doing things. If you get it wrong, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't affect you. Like we're all here. It's a safe space. So it takes a while to work towards that, but, you have to understand that the way you approach things initially is key for getting buy-in and succeeding and giving you time to try and adapt to the way you think you might be able to work in that environment.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And I think what you are saying too, for me as a coach, if I'm putting myself in that situation, uh, I think sometimes some of my methods and my philosophy, that kind of creates my coaching identity to an extent. So it's like for other coaches who feel that way, that okay. I'm gonna just like you said, maybe the question and answer. Some coaches really come from this background of feeling they're like, yeah, they want this kind of transformative leadership and really help the players open up. But if you go to a, a place that is not accustomed to that, then all of your attempts are kind of gonna fall on deaf ears, right? So, so how can a coach then kind of keep a sense of themselves and their ability when everything else externally may have to change as far as their their style, their approach, and, and things like that? Like, what can they do to kind of still maintain that that bit of confidence and courage in, in that situation.
1: I guess it's just knowing that you're working towards something. So you start on that side, but then over time, you introduce certain things. So then you still are trying to work towards what you believe in, but within that culture. And for me, the biggest thing before I moved abroad is like, things must be done this way, absolute tunnel vision. Hmm. Whereas when you move abroad, you have to be flexible because things are done differently there and you won't be able to do things yes. exactly how you did them at home. And if you think you can, like one of the chapters, I've written a book, and one of the chapters in the book was like why foreign coaches feel abroad, seven reasons. And one of the biggest things mm. is they don't adapt to the culture and understand the culture and can't get the best from the local people. They say, oh, but we do it like this in America. Oh, but we do it like this in China or sorry, right. in Germany or Spain. But you're not there anymore. You have to adapt to where you are to get the best in that situation.
0: So you've written a book called Coaching Abroad, How Eight Coaches Got Jobs and Succeeded Worldwide. Uh, And you mentioned yourself, you didn't necessarily have the the professional playing experience and things, and that's part of why you looked abroad. Uh, But you've said a few times here, the network, the relationships are important. So how would you recommend that a coach wants to build relationships to kind of expand their network?
1: Well, people think if you have lots of connections online, that that's, that's the way of doing things. But you have to develop strong connections with people. Just because you know someone doesn't mean they're going to put their name on the line to hire you for a job whenever they don't know you or the quality of your work. And there's a lot of people sending emails to the other side of the world trying to get opportunities, but they're never going to be taken seriously. It's only once you land in a place and put your feet on the ground, that's when doors open, when you show the quality of your work, when you show that you're a genuinely good person trying to help people. Mm -hmm. Once people see that side of you and know the quality of your work, then they're much more likely to put you forward for certain roles if they don't it's a risk because their names on the line so it's but developing strong connections showing the quality of your work and then getting your feet on the ground in the places that you want to be long term
0: okay awesome so if, if let's say you don't have any connections or relationships and you just gotta get on the ground how would you recommend doing that if, if let's say you know you've been searching online job boards don't really see anything too promising or maybe you haven't making applications to different schools and or clubs but but nothing's kind of coming like what would be a, a way of like if you're you're not going to be
1: stopped what would you recommend as a way to kind of get uh get involved well use the power of social media and that's one of the things i did to try and post as much quality content show your work try and connect with as many people as possible because mm-hmm. that's a good way for thousands of people every day to see what you're doing that's a very powerful right. way to create connection with people and then it also means if you're constantly posting good content and people are seeing it every day, when you message them, they feel like they know you already. So it's it's a great way to mm. break break the ice of people rather than someone who you have no idea anything about messaging you out of the blue. So it's, it's a great way to break boundaries that way. But just get yourself out there in the environment, go on coaching courses, go to things, meet up, try and do different things, show the quality of your work. And the more countries that I've worked in, the more jobs I've had, that's where your connections come So professionally. Mm people you work alongside like in china we had 16 full-time foreign coaches there and now they've gone on to work in over 20 countries around the world so it opens doors in different places because they know you they know you're a good person and they know your quality your work's good so it's like that's the biggest the biggest ways for me
0: how about uh have you heard of coaches who kind of just decide hey i'm gonna i really want to be in this place i'm just gonna take a holiday go on vacation and just kind of rock up and, and and see what what comes of that
1: yeah, that's what happened in China. Like one of the coaches during a holiday, instead of going to maybe Hong Kong or going to Tokyo, they went to Inner Mongolia. And after mm. they finished in China, they got a job at a professional club there. And there's different opportunities of people doing that. But just it's more than just a holiday. It's like for me, I talk about it. It's creating travel nets, different places that you can, and plant nets. And that's where your opportunities can fall into eventually. So it's, mm. yeah, it's holidays are more than just for sightseeing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're yeah, trying to kind of leverage those to, to, of course, enjoy yourself. You're going to be in a new place, but but see what can kind of uh, can, can come out of that to, to help build, you know, so you can have more holidays and and uh, be able to afford it for sure. Um, kind of getting to my next point here. I think if I'm thinking of uh, I'm, I'm a new coach, I'm going to a new place. And to your point of like the media propaganda, you don't really know about the places. You hear a lot of things about, you know, maybe you, coaches or players or clubs not being paid, uh, or like potentially like corruption with certain leagues or referees or whatever it is and betting scandals, (laughs) like what are some things you can kind of look out for where if you're going to a new role, uh, that you can kind of feel confident that, Hey, that amount that they're promising is going to come through to my bank account or buy a check or whatever that is. Like, what would you kind of recommend as far as looking
1: for some, some key, key pointers there? Um, go to LinkedIn, type in the name of the club, and connect with as many employees that have worked there in the past, past and present, mm-hmm. to try and get that unbiased approach, and try and talk to people on the ground that might know the club. Like the key thing is you got to do your research, and that's one of the reasons that coaches fail, fail abroad. And like we had a head coach come, good profile, worked at Dundee United in Scotland, played professionally in England. He came to our club, and he had no chance of succeeding because when he landed, the players weren't there anymore. They'd, they'd cut the budget. They didn't have the opportunity of succeeding. Mm. And it's, like his hands were tied. The transfer window closed. But he hadn't done his research. It was his first job in Asia. So it's, it's very difficult. You've got to do your research as much as possible. And there was one coach I interviewed in the book. He got offered a job in Vietnam. And the agent sold him the dream. Said they had lots of national team players. They won the league. And they're competing again. But once he got to the club he found out that all the national team players had been sold and he was the third coach that season mm. and they're near the bottom the league. But then the agent took his percentage and he disappeared and I he never heard from the agent again. So it can be a nasty, it can be a nasty business, but you've got to try and do your research That's as much as possible so you don't get stitched up because even for me in previous clubs, I I'm I'm openly one of the, one of the clubs I worked at got liquidated. They owed hundreds of thousands of dollars probably to people. So mm. it's it's just the way the industry works. You gotta do your research and talk to people.
0: Absolutely. And then speaking of agents, too. um, Well, we hope you get your your IOU at some point. I hope that comes through. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, but speaking of agents, like at what point should a coach look at, you know, is an agent right for me? Is that more for the professional? Are there maybe not agents, but uh, other like recruiting organizations or something for more like youth based jobs? How would you kind of recommend tackling that?
1: yeah well agents aren't very interested in you when you're starting your career because your salary is not as high so then they're not going to get as much of a commission so as you start sure. progressing up the ladder agents become a lot more interested in you but it just depends on the individual like one of the guys i interviewed for the book an agent helped him get his first job and talking to people because they have networks they know people and it's you'll see if it can work or not it might not be for everyone but it might help you create a connection with someone else. So trying to connect with players, trying to connect with mm-hmm. different people and create opportunities yeah. for you. Okay,
0: all right, awesome. Yeah, makes sense. You know, just the the business model, you've got to have uh, have something to offer as a as a coach uh, to, to kind of uh, make it worthwhile for them, for sure. You know, so we mentioned China, Thailand, uh, you mentioned you went to South Africa. Um, what What's kind of, uh, can you, I'm sure you have many, I'm sure you have a whole, uh, kind of repertoire of stories but can you give us a, a story um that uh that you kind of just related to the game maybe like a, during a session or a game or something like that that just left you absolutely dumbfounded or, or shocked or or uh kind of just like gave you a sense of okay this is what i'm in for i was not expecting this but this is one of those realities of coaching abroad that uh, i'm gonna have to face
1: i've had all all sorts of random things happen one of the worst ones was we had three players end up in hospital in one week of motorbike accidents in Thailand. And that's kind of the thing, you'd never have that back home because young mm-hmm. people wouldn't be riding motorbikes. But like in yeah. an ideal world, you'd, you'd ban them from riding motorbikes. But where we were, there wasn't any public transport. So we renovated our truck to give them a safer way to get to the field. And we saw anyone riding without a helmet. They'd be banned for the next match. We tried to put like mm. home safety protocols in. So that's a bit of a, wasn't, wasn't great. And then, like I've had team talks where cows in Thailand have interrupted the team talks just randomly rampaging a group of cows because a lot of the time they don't have fences and things, so just roaming around everywhere. Yeah. So that was on the training training ground. Um, like there's so many, so many things. There's one coach that was in a country in Southeast Asia. He was coming off the field at halftime, and the player on the opposite team told him that his team is going to win two 0 because he heard the locals talking in the local language that the mats been fixed. They put money on mm-hmm. that result, and the second half came out, and the game finished 2-0, exactly as been said, so there's loads of of things, and mm-hmm. there was one guy who joined the club that just just been promoted, and they signed a big player, the national team captain, and the player only agreed to join, if his two friends joined as well, and mm-hmm. the coach came into the club, the coach didn't play his two friends, and that meant that the player wasn't getting the cut of their salary, because he only really got a cut of their salary once they made the appearance, a big yeah. football player went to the owner, said he'd lost a dressing room, even though they were fourth in the league in their first season of top flight, and he lost his job. So there's just so many crazy stories about how things work out here. It's just, it blew your mind. And it's just, you've got to be so patient. You've got to be so adaptable and understand that the culture and it can eat you alive if you don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: things you have to to see yourself, to believe for sure. Um, and all those intricacies of, of relationships and things is just... Uh, yeah, for me would be for me would be uh, would be very very new. Um, how about any things like that from your working experiences uh, and the, the different cultures you worked in, where you're like, oh, I really wish that this was the case at home, or like, I wish I could take this aspect of this culture and and have it be a, a constant everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's like two ends of the spectrum a lot of the time, and there are pros and cons to both. So. Like where I come from, we have a bit more autonomy, a bit more freedom sometimes. Whereas in this reason they're very disciplined, which has a lot of positives as well. But like I like the community feel when I was in Ubon Rajatani. Like everyone would sit down after games, we'd sit in the ground, we'd all eat together. There's a real sort of family connection and things. Yeah. And it's quite a nice idea, like not disrupting the harmony of the group, trying to get along with people. And there's a lot of Buddhist values that'll will, will take you a long way and could help certain countries that I've lived in and worked in, in the past. So there's there's a lot of pauses on both sides. There's pros and cons. Nothing's ever perfect. It's just about taking the best of both sides and trying to make it work in the environment you're in.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I agree that the, the communal piece of just spending some time together after, whether it's a win or a loss, right? You're just coming together because at the end of the day, that we all want the success on the field, of course, uh, but but it hinges so much upon that harmony, upon that the, the team's morale, um, I'm sure we've all been a part of, of teams and situations where uh, we've been able to kind of uh, exceed expectations because there was a great spirit about the team, or just everyone clicked, even though the the, the technique, the skill might not have been there. So uh, I think you know that goes a long way. And just to your point too, of, of uh, the the enriching experiences you get abroad and those relationships relationships you create um, are really uh, really invaluable. So so that's that's fantastic. You've been able to coach in, in a lot of different regions of the world and in some of these places that might not necessarily, you know, countries that haven't qualified for the World Cup or might not, not pop up. What would you say for, what are the ingredients for like a, a, a successful footballing culture uh, or, or type of like footballing system uh, in order for a country to succeed on a, a global or, or even a regional, like continental level?
1: A lower lower levels of corruption would be a good a good starting point in one country I was in, we offered the FA to come and use our facilities to run a, co- host a coaching course in a region where it hadn't, they hadn't had much of that before. But then they they asked us for a lot of money to do it. I was like, why would we pay you to come and deliver a coaching course in our facilities? Two weeks later, they called us back, says, yeah, we'll do it for free. So there's a lot of people in positions of power in this region that money's going into our pockets rather than being invested yeah. in the game. So... If you look at Japan, Japan's one of the leading regions in this part of the world. And they've got a great infrastructure, as far as I'm aware, in terms of in every prefecture, they have a football association. So football's mm-hmm. been developed countrywide, whereas in certain countries I've worked in, it's very centralized in a big city. And there's not much provision outside of that. So it's good to have try and develop things around the country and put the investment where it's supposed to go in into the, during the game. And not going into people's pockets and then from there the coach education standards improved the programs people create improved club systems improve and then things the game develops the game develops in there because like so many countries i've worked in they've had a burning desire for the game which is so positive right the, of the course structure the infrastructure of the countries not in place to help develop that talent further mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's uh
0: Always a challenge where kind of those dreams, the human dreams and desire kind of meets the the human organizations and systems in place. And uh, you know, it's always that that tension of what kind of leads to leads you to going beyond that. So you know, hopefully that that you know the beautiful game can be shared more evenly um, and 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 give more people who really want the opportunity, you know, the resources and and the environment to succeed. Um, yeah, anything else you'd like to kind of wrap up with here uh, or or share? Before uh, before we close out,
1: it. it's yeah. been a great great chat. It's just always interesting to talk about football in different countries, and because a big, there's a whole wide world out there. And football can take you anywhere in the world. There's a world full of opportunities out there, as I talk about in the book. So it's just nice to explore those and help people see that there is something outside the bubble they're currently in. There are opportunities out there, and it's yeah. it's up to them if they want to go and take the make the most of them.
0: Yeah. Awesome, awesome. I know we've talked mostly about coaches or, or two coaches when this podcast, but of course, you know, our main role is educating younger players and, and at the grassroots level and, and trying to develop them. So uh, just as a, a coach in general, regardless of the, the country or the culture you've been in, what, what would you say as far as encouraging or, or, or giving younger players a, a good framework for, for how to succeed and kind
1: of reach their potential as athletes? Um. Just follow what you're passionate about in life. There's so many people that are getting forced things upon them, and it's not a long-term strategy. So look at what you're most passionate about in life, whether that's football, it could be outside of football as well. Just follow that to the to the best of your ability. Try and get yourself in environments where you're gonna get challenged. you can learn from the people around you. There's good good guidance and mentors. Network as much as possible to try and learn and connect and find other opportunities and then high profile yourself in social media and things as well. So, there's a lot of opportunities out there nowadays, so it's it's just about following your passion, getting into the right environments, educating yourself as best as possible, to try and give yourself the best opportunity of succeeding.
0: Yeah, fantastic, awesome. So hope hope that that uh, our chat has been able to help not only coaches but players, uh, you know, uh, here, there, and everywhere across the world that love this uh, this beautiful game. And I guess uh, what we do with all our guests, Blaine, uh, if you could finish the sentence because football dot 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 how would you finish that sentence
1: because football has changed my life and helped me travel the world paid me to travel the world so can't can't complain with that yeah
0: it doesn't get too much better combining the all those passions so fantastic thank you so much blaine um if if everyone's interested i'm going to put all his socials uh in the, uh, in the description here. And of course his book is on Amazon coaching abroad, and I'll, I'll link to that as well. So please, uh, please support him and, and, and give him a follow to kind of soak up more of this, uh, great novel information that he can offer. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Blaine. Appreciate it. No,
1: and uh, have always, great you. rest of
0: your day. Yeah.